song is, and uh, what a great chorus that is. So, so much truth in, uh, in that song. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter number 29. Proverbs 29. Proverbs chapter 29, and as you're turning there, uh, we've, we've turned the page to yet another chapter. Proverbs chapter 29, verse number one, we're going to start here. As I was going over this chapter, we, uh, every time we go into a new chapter, I have to sit down and I have to read it and, and read it and, and put categories to it. And uh, this time, as I was studying it, I uh, re- reading Proverbs chapter 29 several times through. And as I was doing that, I, I really discovered that uh, this is all free, okay? This doesn't even have anything to do with the message. But I discovered that there's really uh, about three types of Proverbs as I go through. As a matter of fact, it made me want to start all over and go back to chapter 10 and, uh, and, and just kind of analyze it in that regard. We're not going to do that, all right? Don't worry. But uh, uh, as I was looking at the verses, really all the verses fit into three types of Proverbs. One would be a comparative, uh, and that would say that it would do this um, if, you, if you read your Bible, then you will grow, okay? And I'm just giving an example. This is not a proverb. But the next one would say, and if you don't read your Bible, then you won't grow, okay? It's comparison. It gives you something positive that if you do this, it's positive, And then something that if you don't do this or if you do something bad, then it will be negative. And so it's a comparative, and it strikes a comparison between something good and something bad. The second kind of proverb that I noticed was a consequence. In other words, if you do this, then this will happen. And it can be both a negative consequence. In other words, um, if, you, uh, if you fall down the stairs, it will hurt, okay? You could break your arm. That's a negative consequence. Uh, but on the positive side, uh, if you cook food, it will taste good, okay? Uh, I'm giving you cheesy illustrations, but it's just, it's a consequence, uh, and so it just kind of gives you something that is positive or negative, but it doesn't compare it with something in your life. And then the third one that I found uh, was was a communicative. Uh, in other words, that it would communicate something, not just a consequence, but it would communicate something. And I find that that's a, a rare proverb uh, that, that shows up, and it shows up actually in this text. And when we get to that one, um, I'll have to figure out what it means, because I'll be honest with you, I read it several times, and I don't know what it means. And so we're obviously not going to cover that one tonight. Uh, but all of them that we're going to look at, It's just kind of an idea of a way of thinking, another way of looking at those things. Uh, But the ones we're going to cover tonight, they also fit into a topic. Uh, There was about... Oh, 11 or 12, no, there was 13 verses that I put down that deal with personal conduct. In other words, how we would live our life. They would fit into that topic. And then I further divided that topic down into two different ones. Uh, one that would be uh, our personal conduct and how we act and how uh, it would benefit us or, or uh, reflect in our lives. And then the other one is how it would, uh, it would react in relation to other people. So there's kind of two different groups there. But then the second topic that's dealt with in this chapter is leadership. Uh, You could put it as a rule uh, because it mentions a king. Most of the time it mentions a king, uh, but I don't think that probably, uh, now it could happen, but I don't, I don't foresee anybody in this room becoming a king of a country. Um, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to make and apply that to a leadership principle that we'll look at. 
uh, as we get into those. And then uh, there were a few of them, though very, la- very few, uh, that dealt specifically with the family. And then there was one that I just couldn't put into any of the categories. And uh, it is in a unique category all by itself. And we will look at all of these. But as I, I was reading through and looking at these, uh, I was reminded about our personal conduct. And I was reminded really of these verses in Proverbs 1.5. It says, A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Proverbs 8.33 says, Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Proverbs 19.20 says, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. And uh, I appreciate the faithfulness of our people on Wednesday night coming out to church and, and hearing, um, not me, but the counsel of the Word of God and what it gives and what it, uh, what it helps you with. And, and that is hearing the counsel and wisdom is, is being instilled not because of me, but be, again, because of the Word of God. And so I appreciate the, your interest and your attention uh, as you come to church. Proverbs chapter 29 verse number one, he says this, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you just for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can as we consider these verses about personal conduct and how they deal specifically with our person and our actions and our thoughts and, and how we react and what we do in our lives. God, I pray that you would instruct us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would strengthen us. God, I pray that we would respond receive all of that, and God, that we would be better Christians, better people in this world. And Father, we'll thank you for that. God, we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this verse, uh, obviously this is one of, of consequence. He says there in verse number one, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. He is not certainly not comparing it to anything. It's just a consequence. And as we look at this verse, uh, the, what I believe is, is kind of the whole idea uh, is, a, is a warning about a prideful response. Uh, in other words, he says there again, one more time, he that being often reproved. Reproved would be uh, simply corrected or told, uh, listen, that that is not the right way and this is the right way. That is a reproof. And he says this, hardeneth his neck. Now what does that mean? That simply means uh, that he gets stubborn and says, I'm not going to listen to this guy. I'm not going to listen to this correction. I'm not going to listen to this reproof. Or I'm not going to follow uh, this advice. In other words, he refuses to do that. The Bible says, shall be suddenly destroyed. Now I want to look at the first part of that. We'll get all the way through it. We'll work through it. But the first part is reproof. And uh, as I was thinking about the reproof and really looking at that idea, uh, reproof can come in, in at least three different ways. And one of the ways that it can come is from our very own conscience. And uh, it wasn't, I guess it was, I don't remember, sometime this year, 
uh, in our Sunday school lessons, in the adult Sunday school class, we were going through some lessons, and they talked about the conscience. We were talking about building below the baseline, and we were talking about the conscience, and I was really honestly surprised. I don't know that I'd ever studied in Scripture uh, the conscience, and I was actually surprised that the word conscience shows up in the Bible. But, uh, but after I had studied that, and ever, after I looked at it, I was like, that is a really important concept that we actually need to consider in the Word of God. And sometimes we don't, uh, we don't think about it and we don't consider it enough. But one of the illustrations I think that is clear uh, that the Bible talks about the conscience, and it talks a lot about our conscience, but one of the, the, the most clearest illustrations is in John chapter 8. Uh, and and you, can, you can go over there if you'd like. Save your spot here in Proverbs. We'll be back here. But in John chapter number 8, the, uh, uh, some of the rulers of, the, uh, of, of Israel and of the Jewish religion had brought in a, an adulteress to Jesus. And, uh, and they, were, they were encouraging Jesus, saying, hey, uh, the law says that she's to be stoned. And uh, basically they were trying to trap Jesus. And it's interesting, uh, as you look at this, and so you know the story that, that they, were, they brought this woman to Jesus, and they're trying to get Jesus to stone her, and uh, look at what takes place in verse number 7. John chapter 8 and verse number 7. The Bible says, So when they continued asking him, he lift up himself and said unto them, I love his answer, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse number 9, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. That verse is interesting because it says each one uh, being convicted or condemned by his own conscience. In other words, you have a conscience within you that bears record of what is right and what is wrong. And, and of course, uh, you cannot deny the word of God and, and the wisdom that Jesus spoke when he said, he that is without sin among you, let him, cast, let him first cast a stone at her. Uh, they're, they're, you'll, you'll forever uh, be in awe of the wisdom of Jesus in that verse as he uh, just totally shut them down. But you cannot deny at the same time that uh, they were convicted, as the Bible says, by their own conscience. And listen, our conscience should speak to us. Your conscience should convict you. Uh, and as in studying that, I am not going through all the verses tonight, but in studying that, you can sear your conscience. In other words, and some people do, they shut off their conscience. They have denied their conscience for so long that it does not bother them to do what's wrong. Because they've seared their conscience. They've, they've shut it off. They've ignored it for so long. And, and the Bible says here uh, that, hey, back in our text in, in Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. In other words, he says no constantly to his conscience. Uh, and not just his conscience. That's only one way that reproof is able to come to us. The second way that, that reproof comes to us is clearly through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in John 16, 8, when he was teaching on the Holy Spirit and talking about the comforter that would come, he says in verse number 8, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
Listen, the Holy Spirit ought to convict us. We're saved. We're born again. We have the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And uh, I love listening to testimonies. Uh, I've talked to people before and I remember talking to a friend of mine and he was a missionary and he, he said, he said when he got saved, he said, nobody had to tell me that I needed to be in church. He was like, I knew I needed to get into church. He's like, and, and, and since that, that person led me to church, I, I thought, I'm going straight to that church. And, and he, he looked that church up because he didn't, uh, he, didn't have, uh, the, the, he didn't know where it was or what it was. And so uh, he went straight to that church where, where that fellow had led him to the Lord. And, and uh, through the course of time, I mean, he just dedicated his life to the Lord and ended up serving as a missionary overseas. But what I'm saying is, listen, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us will guide you, will prick you when you're wrong, will help you through your life and, and cause you uh, to want to do what is right. Now, you don't have to obey the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, uh, then listen, you are, you are basically quenching the Holy Spirit. You're saying, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And that would be the reproof. The Holy Spirit saying, listen, you ought to do it. And you shut them down. You say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you can quench the Holy Spirit. And you're shutting off the reproof in your life that you need that will help you to live right and will help you to do right. Not only in our conscience and not only in the Holy Spirit, but the Bible is very clear as well that in preaching on the Word of God, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 too, as, as Paul is admonishing Timothy, uh, his, his preacher boy in the faith and his son in the faith, and he's trying to teach him and, and raise him up, he says this in 2 Timothy 4 2, preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. And he says this, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Listen, there's preaching uh, that will convict your heart. And, uh, and, and preaching should convict your heart. Preaching should, uh, on occasion, step on your toes. Listen, when I listen to preaching, sometimes I'm like, oof, he hit me. It was a direct hit. There was no miss there. And, uh, and, and I got to say, man, Lord, help me with that. I need, to, I need to get that right. I need to get that fixed. I need to do better in my life. And it ought to. That's one of the things. That's one of the workings of preaching. That's one of the workings of teaching the Word of God. And we referenced John 8 when Jesus said, uh, He that is without sin, let him, let him first cast the stone. And, and we find that, uh, listen, hey, that Jesus is the Word of God. And He did teach. And listen, the Holy Spirit of conviction did fall. And they were smitten by their conscience and they were smitten by the word and they were smitten by the Holy Spirit that does rebuke of sin. And they all walked off and they didn't stay around and they didn't, uh, they didn't, they didn't shut off that reproof. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 29 and verse number one, he that being often reproved, there's lots of opportunity for reproof there. And the Bible says, hardeneth his neck. That would be his response 
is refusal and rebellion to whatever that reproof is, whether it's the conscience, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's the preaching of the Word of God, whether it's the Word of God directly. When, he, when you sit down and you read the Word of God, whatever the reproof is coming from, if you constantly say, no, I'm not going to do that, and no, I'm not going to bend to that, and no, I'm not going to mold my life or, or change for this or that, uh, then the Bible says, listen, uh, that's going to be a problem in your life. And, and not only there, is there refusal, like is, is shown here, that he that hardeneth his neck, in other words, says, I'm not going to do that. And you can kind of see the stubbornness that is kicking up there, uh, but perhaps even begrudgingly. And you say, what's that? That's, that's doing what you're supposed to do, but not with a willing spirit. You know, there's a classic old story, and I remember hearing it when I was a kid, of, uh, of a, a father who told his little four-year-old son to sit down. It, it might have been me. I might have told my son to sit down. I mean, every one of us could recall this scenario, and you say, uh, you tell your child to sit down, and the son wouldn't sit down. And so the father said the second time, son, I said, sit down and you want to make it clear so they understand and the boy still didn't sit down finally the father took him by the shoulders and forcefully placed him in the chair and made him sit down and he said now son sit there and the boy answered i may be sitting down on the outside he added defiantly but i'm standing up on the inside in other words, you, he might have been forced into doing what was right, but man, his heart certainly wasn't in it, and he was begrudgingly that he was seated, and it was only because his dad was bigger and stronger than him. And listen, sometimes uh, as Christians, we'll do that, and we'll, we'll harden our neck. We'll go through the motion because we know that's the right thing to do, but, but on the inside, we're begrudging every part of it. We're saying, man, I, I don't want to do this, and this is not what I want to do. And, and listen, that's as, as good as hardening our necks. The Bible says that he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. We see the reproof, we see the response of the person that they would refuse or begrudgingly uh, do something that they don't want to do, but then we see the results is a swift and a severe destruction that would come their way, and that without remedy. And the Bible's very clear. Sometimes um, it, it scares me for other people. When I see people and I think, how long will God let them go before it's too late? And there is no chance for them to repent. There is no chance for them to say, you know what, I was wrong. And I don't know the answer. You know, I'm glad that God is long-suffering. Sometimes we get, uh, sometimes we tend to get impatient with God, and we, and when somebody's wronged us, we we tend to say, "Well, God, how long are you going to let that go?" I mean, that should have been dealt with, and and we we tend to uh, to expect God to do something, but yet when we're the ones that's on the wrong, we're like, "God, I'm thankful that you're long-suffering," you know. Um, but God's long-suffering equally. I mean, God's not, God is a just God, and He is long-suffering, and He is patient. But listen, there is an end to His patience. There is a, there is a time where, where He draws a line, and, and you read through the, uh, I got through reading the, um, all the minor prophets, and you talk about a lot, of, uh, a lot of judgment and a lot of destruction and a lot of problems. And what happened? They hit the end where God said, that's it. 
And it was swift and it was severe. And God said, that is the end, my friend. You have reached the end and the punishment will fall and there's no stopping it and there's no delaying it and there's no changing it uh, because it will come. And so it's a, verse one is a warning of a prideful response. May we not be prideful uh, in ourselves and respond to reproof saying, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. May we be soft-hearted. May we, we allow God to ply our life and mold our life and make us what he wants us to be and not be hard-hearted or hard-necked as it's, it's placed there in verse number one. Uh, and there is a warning to our lives in our own personal conduct, hey, that when we are reproved, to be soft-hearted to God and allow God to work in our life. We can see a, a warning to a prideful response. Look with me at verse number three. As we continue down through our, our chapter, he says in verse number three, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. Here we have a contrast. The first one was a, uh, it, it, the type of it was a consequence. The second one is that we're looking at in verse number three is a contrast. He says, whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. As we look at this, I believe the first one was a warning of prideful response. The second one in our personal conduct, talking about how we conduct our lives, is a warning of passion as love. Now, the first part is good. As we see, it's a contrast. He says this in the first part, whoso loveth Wisdom rejoiceth his father. Loveth means uh, to, to embrace, to love, to be passionate about, to actually like and, and enjoy. And he says there, uh, whoso loveth wisdom. And, uh, and you say, well, what, what do I love? And uh, well, where is your time invested? What is the priority in your life? What is something that you care about? You know, the easiest illustration that we can give is when a, uh, a young man is attracted to a young lady and he wants to get her attention. You know what? It, man, his focus is totally devoted to her. And, and man, he's going to call her and uh, he's going to write her. Uh, I don't think they write physical letters anymore. It's kind of a it's, Sadly, it's kind of a lost art. But, uh, but he's, gonna, he's going to try and uh, communicate with her and maybe he's going to buy her gifts and, and you can see where his time is invested. And listen, the Bible says here he would encourage us with a warning of passion of love that our love should be directed towards wisdom. And he says here uh, in verse number three, whoso loveth wisdom. And listen, our, our priority ought to be the wisdom. And what is the wisdom? Wisdom uh, is... There's wisdom in the Word of God. There is no greater wisdom that you will find in this world. And I will, I'll, I'll put the Word of God up against uh, any of the best Ivy League schools that you can come up with. Because I am a firm believer that this book contains all the wisdom. And that's not to say there's not sciences you can't learn. But any sciences that veer off the, from the Word of God, they're not correct. And let the Word of God be correct and let the Word of God stand and let the, uh, the Word of God give us the wisdom that we need. And there's no greater wisdom than what is in the Word of God. Matter of fact, the Bible, when, when Solomon asked uh, for wisdom to guide, uh, God gave him the promise that, hey, he would be the wisest man that ever lived. Guess where his book is recorded? Matter of fact, he's got three books. They're all recorded right here in the Word of God. 
And so we find that wisdom, the greatest wisdom that you will find, is contained within the Word of God. And we ought to love the Word of God. We ought to care about the Word of God because there's no greater wisdom than what is found in the Word of God. We find wisdom in preaching. Go with me, save your spot here in Proverbs 29. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. And verse number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthian people there, and, uh, and he writes in verse number 4, he said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I thought you said preaching was wisdom. Just hold on, he's going to get there, all right? He's going to come all the way around. Look at what he says again in verse number 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And he goes on, but you get the idea that, listen, in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, that there's wisdom contained, uh, not, not because of the preacher, uh, but because of the Word of God that's being taught and is being preached. And God has ordained preaching, uh, and we ought to have a passion for the preaching of the Word of God. I enjoy, and I have enjoyed my whole life, uh, hearing good preaching. I mean, I just enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy coming to church. I enjoy uh, listening to the preaching. When we have revival and, uh, and, and missions month and, and things like that, I, I tell you what, I look forward uh, to coming to church and sitting down and hearing the preaching of the Word of God. I enjoy it. And uh, it encourages me and it strengthens me and it helps me. And there's wisdom in our love and our passion ought to be for the Word of God and ought to be for the preaching of the Word of God. Go back with me in Proverbs 29, verse number 3. In the second part of that, he says, But he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. So we find wisdom, somebody that's talking about loving wisdom, loving the Word of God, loving preaching, but then wisdom in our friends as well, the company that we would keep. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And listen, there's, some, uh, there's an old saying, of course, that, that you, you probably know, and it says this, Tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. Because, listen, your friends are really who you are. And, uh, and as you look at the second part of that verse, he brings that out. He says, he that keepeth company with harlots. In other words, somebody that would spend time with, uh, with sin of this world and, and other things like of that nature. And that harlots would represent idolatry and worship of humanity and temporal things and, and things of that nature. And listen, our friends ought to be good people who love the Lord. And that's kind of the idea of loving wisdom, that we love the Word of God, we love the preaching of the Word of God, we love people uh, who, who also are drawn and love the Word of God because they'll influence us. And then listen, the second part of that verse says this, but he that keepeth company with harlots spendeth his substance. And as I said, the harlots, obviously, rep we know what that is, 
but it represents idolatry and, and, and worldliness and wickedness that is in the world. And the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, 2, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And all, the, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And listen, there's an amount of worldliness that draws people. And, and we ought to be careful that our passion of love stays grounded and focused on the Word of God and on God and on the things that are godly and not things that are worldly. And those things don't necessarily have to be sinful. There's lots of things that are not sinful that can really draw Christians away from church. I've watched it happen many times. And so it doesn't have to just be wicked and sinful to draw a Christian away. There's many good things that have drawn Christians away. And it's a passion of love in which he's warning and saying, hey, make sure that your love is grounded on things that are wise in the wisdom that God gives. Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father. And so we have to ask ourselves, where is our love? Because there's a warning of passion of our love. And listen, you say, well, a wise son, somebody, a son that loves wisdom is going to please his father. You think about your children and you think, you know, what if your child was a foolish person who ran off and did lots of foolish things? You would still love them, of course, but it would certainly grieve you. It'd be hard. And then if your son uh, runs off and does good things and does right things, and, and you're like, wow, that's good, praise the Lord. It rejoiceth the Father. And you say, well, my dad didn't, uh, didn't really have much. Listen, you have a heavenly Father who does care about what you do. And, and yeah, your earthly father may not have been what you wanted him to be and may not have been uh, even, even involved in your life. And there's a lot of people like that. But listen, we certainly have a heavenly Father that we can please, and that will rejoice when we do love wisdom and do what is right, and we don't fall to the world. And so he gives in verse 3, as we're talking about personal conduct and wise personal conduct, he gives a warning of passion in the things that we love and the things that we care about. In verse number one, he gives a warning of prideful response and, and responding pridefully and arrogantly to the word of God and the correction that would come our way. Look with me at verse number 22. And we'll see one, one other warning of, that he gives here. In verse 22, he says, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. He gives warning, not only as a passion, as in the things that we love, but he also gives warning and passion as anger in verse 22. And he says there, in stirring, uh, an angry man stirreth up strife. I looked up that phrase, stirreth up strife, and it shows up several times throughout the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and the other place it, it shows up in, is in chapter number 10 and verse number 12. He says this, hatred stirreth up strifes, 
but love covereth all sins. And so we find a, a passion as anger, and sometimes anger comes as a result of hatred. If somebody hates something, or hates someone, or hates some action, uh, then listen, that can certainly drive them to anger. And it, the hatred is kind of the root of that anger, and that will cause, as we look at our verse here, an angry man stirreth up strife would cause him to uh, stir up all kinds of uh, arguments or, or contentions that would come about from that. And not only in hatred, but also the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. And so strife can result out of anger. It can result out of anger from hatred. It can result out of, uh, out of pride and arrogance. And somebody say, well, man, I, I can't believe he talked to me that way. I can't believe he treated that me that way. I can't believe he, he snubbed me and didn't say hi to me. And, and that pridefulness, and, and then all of a sudden it causes anger, and then they say, man, I'm going to get him back. And it's a revengeful attitude that would say, hey, I'm going I'm to make sure that he, he gets that kind of same treatment from me. And it becomes a, a problem of stirring up strife. And listen, as we think about all of that, um, maybe it's not, not from hatred or maybe it's not from pride. Maybe it's from rebuke. As we looked at verse number one, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. Sometimes when people are reproved, uh, they get angry about that. And they say, well, I don't like that. And they're going to stir up strife. Listen, there's all kinds of reasons that people will stir up strife. Uh, but the bottom line is, hey, they're stirring up strife. And we see that in verse 22, an angry man stirreth up strife. What is strife? It's obviously arguing or uh, some form of, of problem that would be caused. And sometimes they're just out for revenge. Well, that person hurt me or that person did this to me and therefore I have a, a right to get them back or to do something. And the Bible says in verse, uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 28, a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Froward man would be a wicked man, somebody who uh, likes wickedness, and he's going to sow strife, and he's going to cause problems. And we, I remember we talked about the whisperer separateth chief friends. And listen, uh, sometimes just wickedness and gossip and causing a controversy uh, will separate people, and that strife is always very divisive and very harsh on other people. Not only a froward person and not only an angry person that would stir up that strife, but also a talebearer. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. I like that proverb because I like wood and I like fire. You know, we, if you have a fire, you have a campfire, and you put your wood on there, it's going to burn. And if you only have two logs, you can have a fire and that'll burn. And uh, if you take and separate those two logs, and I've done this, um, you separate those two logs, you know what happens? It burns out. It goes out because they're not together. If they're together, it'll continue burning. And if it burns all up and you don't put any more wood on it, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. If you don't add any more wood to it, there's not going to be any more fire. Your fire is going to go out. And so he's saying where strife and contention exist, uh, that if nothing else is added to it, it's not going to continue. He goes on in Proverbs 26, 20, and he says, So that where there is no tailbearer, the strife ceaseth. 
And as coals are to burning fire and uh, wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. As we look at our verse, an angry man stirreth up strife. In other words, he's causing the problems. But when that is all taken away and there's no more talebearer, somebody that would gossip, and there's no more forwardness, and that would be wickedness or sinfulness that's going on, and there's no more desire for revenge, and there's no more uh, uh, arguing back and forth, and all of that has ceased, then listen, it's going to go out, and it will be calm. But he says here in our proverb, in verse, chapter 29, verse 22, an angry man... Somebody who does not forgive, somebody who does not let go. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. In other words, somebody who allows that anger to bind up in their life and holds on to it and does not forgive and does not let go of that uh, can turn into a, not just an angry man, but a furious man in which the Bible says this about a furious man aboundeth in transgression. The word abound means to possess in great quantity, unchecked, uncontrolled anger that goes un. Uh, unforgiven will spiral into excessive amounts of sin. How many times you watch that take place in different areas and different ideas where, where somebody who is upset at something and does not forgive and uh, listen, it starts out with gossiping and next lying and then vengeance and then uh, pretty soon, boy, it can lead all the way to murder. And people can be so upset about something and, and strife doesn't solve it and doesn't give them the vent, revenge that they feel they deserve. And, and it can go all the way to the fact that they would murder somebody or uh, physically harm somebody. And, and what it's saying is, listen, that the, the anger that goes unchecked uh, will abound in transgression, the amount of sin that stacks up and piles up because there's no, uh, there's no control, there's no restraint on their feeling that there's no control and there's no restraint on their actions to hold them back. And we find that it is a strong warning of passion as anger. We need to be careful of our anger. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. We're talking about wise personal conduct. And he gives us just three warnings, a prideful response to the word of God and to the wisdom that's, or to the, the reproof rather that's given, whether it's our conscience, the Holy Spirit or the word of God. And, and then we see the passion of, of love that we should always maintain a love for the word of God and the wisdom of God and then uh, not for the worldly things and the wickedness that's in the world. And then there's a passion as anger that we ought, we ought to be careful of that in our own life and not stir up strife, and not cause transgression, or not abound, rather, with transgression. And so those are just three things that we can see in the book of Proverbs about our own personal conduct. And this is how we would live our lives and direct our lives, that we would, not, uh, that we would be soft to reproof and say, you know what, God's right and I'm wrong, and I need to change. And that we would direct our passion of our love towards God. And that we would be careful with our, our, our passion of our anger and allow that to be forgiven and allow things uh, to, to um, really be left in God's hands. And allow God to be the final judge and allow God to take care of things. And sometimes that's, well, most of the time that's easier said 
than done. But yet, it's something that we need to be careful of. And he gives us a personal warning about those things in our life. As we stand to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed, personal conduct, and a few areas of our personal conduct that just to keep in check in our life and be careful of. Solomon would give us warning to those things, and God would give us warning. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, really, that is so wise. God, you understand our human nature even better than we understand it. God, you understand our passion of love, and you understand our passion of anger, and God, you understand our proud pride, pride that we have in our hearts. And God, we ask that you'd help us to keep those in check. God, that we would be soft-hearted, tender-hearted towards you, not hard-hearted, but soft towards your reproof. God, that you would help us to maintain a love for and a zeal for your wisdom. God, that you'd help us to keep our anger in check and in control. God, that we would depend upon you for that. Father, thank you for the warnings that you give in your word about our personal conduct. God, that we could live our lives correctly and walk with you and be an influence on this world. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart as only you can. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God spoke into your heart, the altar's open. bring our invitation to a close and appreciate your attention tonight. Um, just a reminder real quick, to, uh, there's several sign-up sheets on the back table. I'm not going to give you the dates, but uh, Ladies Paint Night and Golden Anchors Breakfast and Outreach and all of that is back there. And so if you're interested in any of those things, make sure you make your way back there and sign up for those and we'll certainly appreciate that. And um, I think that's all the announcements we have for tonight. And uh, smile at somebody. Oh, Sunday night. I thought you wanted me to announce that Sunday morning. Sunday night, we're planning on having a fellowship after the evening service. So we want to let you know about that. And, uh, and so we're looking forward to it. You don't need to bring anything but your appetite and yourself. All right? Maybe a friend even. Because we, we have a little problem in our church. We have way more food than we have people. Okay? So I'm serious when I say that. Um, don't feel bad about bringing a friend and invite a friend and bring them with you, okay? Because we really do have a lot of food, all right? So uh, we'll have that fellowship Sunday night after church. It's a soup and a dessert of some sort or something. So uh, we'll have a good time Sunday night after church, all right? God bless. You're dismissed.